0: Well, the rest of you that are stuck with me. (laughs) You're not stuck. We're going to have a good time. Amen. Let's just close our eyes again and lift up our hands and say, Father, we just thank you. We thank you that you know all. You know exactly where we've been this week. You know exactly what's been on our hearts. And that we thank you that we can draw on you, Holy Spirit. And you get to us exactly what it is we need, the encouragement we need. Whether it's something that Pastor Jordan speaks this morning, or whether it's something you just speak quietly to our hearts. We thank you that you always show up and supply. We thank you that you are just so good so good and so holy spirit we just release you to do the work that you were commissioned to do we thank you that you are the great teacher you are the comforter you are our standby and whatever we need we can just draw from you and so we thank you for that right now in jesus name amen and amen well how's everybody doing this morning woohoo well christmas has exploded in here already you know, I've been seeing, like, all over the internet, everybody's starting Christmas so early this year, and I think it's because there's so much has happened in this year. People are like, I just want something comforting. I just want something hopeful. You know, I just I just want a, a good, happy season, and so they're just letting Christmas explode. Like, on November 3rd, I came home from work, and I, I came in the door, and I said to my wife, I'm like, oh, Christmas has vomited in here already. <laughs> I'm like, it's only November 3rd. You have to wait until after Remembrance Day at least. And so she held off decorating the tree until then. Uh, but it's going to be a good season. You know, whatever the enemy tries to steal, it says that one, one who is stole, steal, caught stealing has to repay seven times back. And so whatever the enemy tries to steal, you say, no, you can't steal no more, and you must repay. Amen. Well last week we wrapped up our series on the end times and I had a lot of fun with that. We were preaching on Jesus gathering his church back to himself into heaven. We were talking about the party, the marriage supper of the lamb that's gonna take place in heaven, you know, the millennial reign of Christ, you know, then heaven and just how awesome it, it will be. And the, the thing that stuck with me personally about what we were sharing last week was the quote from Spurgeon where he talks about it will continue on forever and for over. That it can continue forever in, in length of time, but it, for over means to get better with intensity you know when we step into heaven it's going to be awesome it's going to be an amazing time but that's not the end of things it just does not become same old same old every day forever things only get better when you're with God and so we have an eternity to begin to know him in different ways and to understand everything that he believes and everything that he has done and you know it's just going to be just such an awesome time but you know one of the great things about studying the things about the end time is if you think about jeremiah 29 11 for a second here what did god say he said for i know the plans that i have for you they're plans for good they're not for evil and they're to give you a future and a hope you notice the, the order that he puts it in if you don't feel you have a future you know what begins to happen hope begins to diminish and so when we talk about these things, the future of the church and the future of you as the body of Christ, hope should rise up. There should be a confident expectation. But if we plug that even right now into our lives here on earth, you need to understand that God has a good future for you. And so if you're feeling like you've got to a place where you are hopeless and hope has beginning to diminish, spend some time thinking about the good future he has for you and you will find hope will begin to rise uh, again. But when we talk about this, you know, most people let their their expectation for their hope, uh, for their future, and the hope that they have be based, based upon the feelings that they have right here today. And you know, your feelings can lie to you. You know, feelings are not there to validate your experience. They're there to, ha- to enhance your experience. But just because you're feeling something doesn't mean it's true. You can feel that someone hates you, but they may not. But your perception of them can make it seem that way and when you have that feel take on that feeling you know it begins to boil and more and more and before you know it you act as though that person hates you or they have something against you or they they're holding something over you and they may not even know you're even thinking of them they haven't had a thought about you in years you know that's the thing about the world we often think that people think more about us than they actually do most people think all about themselves and that's about it so your feelings are fickle And what these really are, these are heart issues. And one of the themes that has been really dominant in this second half of 2020 is the heart. And it was woven all through our our series on the end times. And we did a series on it right before going in there in September and October. And the heart is a very important thing to talk about because it's something that you are in control of. Nobody else gets to determine what goes on in your heart. That's you. That's your job, your business. And so I want to circle back this morning and I want to talk some more about the heart because the more you open up the Bible, it just, there's. Constant, constant talk about the heart. And, you know, in context of talking about the end times, you know, Jesus said in, in Luke 21, said that men's hearts will fail them for fear. And there's a duality there in that verse. Yes, he said people are going to lose breath and physically die because of the fear. You know, heart attack rates are going through the roof. You know, the people right now are hurting. They're hopeless. They've been locked in their houses. Suicide rates are going through the roof because they're afraid of what they they can't face tomorrow. It says men's hearts will fail them for fear. But you know, there's also a dual side of that whereas your heart and how you approach the situations of your life, you can allow that to become corrupt and begin to view what you're about to do next through an unhealthy heart view. And so when we talk about feelings and we talk about the hearts, you know, there was a, there was a quote that came up in my heart this week that I really like from A.W. Tozer. And he was a, a famous Christian author, wrote many books. He was actually from the Christian Missionary Alliance, which this church building used to belong to a Missionary Alliance church before we purchased it. But he, he actually spent his final days in Toronto. And one of his famous quotes is that God is more concerned with the state of people's hearts than with the state of their feelings. Because as I said, your feelings can lie. God cares about what is in your heart. And right along with that, John Piper has a famous saying, and I don't agree with a lot of what John Piper says, but this is a great quote. He says, my feelings are not God. God is God. My feelings do not define truth. God's word defines truth. And my feelings are echoes and responses of what my mind perceives. And sometimes, many times, my feelings are out of sync with the truth. And when that happens, and it happens every day in some measure, and isn't that the truth, I try not to bend the truth to justify my imperfect feelings. But rather, I plead with God... Purify my perceptions of your truth and transform my feelings so that they are in sync with your truth. And so the first step is always evaluating yourself and saying, what is true? And there is nothing more true than the Word of God. So if how you feel and your perspective of the future looks different than what the Word of God has said about you, it is not a true feeling and a true perception. And so the the, the core scripture of the series we did on the heart was, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. He didn't say, I'll keep your heart. He didn't say, your neighbor will keep your heart. He didn't say, your mother will keep your heart. He said, you keep your heart. You guard it. There's a dual nature in the de- definition there. There's the act of being militant against that which would try to rob you of life. And then there's the idea of a garden. You get out of a garden the work that you put into it. If you don't plant the seeds, you don't grow the harvest. If you don't tend the weeds, they choke off the harvest. If you don't protect the garden, it gets taken from by animals and things that were were not supposed to eat of that fruit. That was for you. And so if you don't guard it and you don't tend it, no one else can do it for you. And unfortunately, this was written by Solomon and he was the wisest man that ever lived and he didn't follow his own instructions. When he wrote this, it may have been true, but he ended his life following his feelings and his pleasures more than the truth of God. And it said it led him astray from God. He built temples for all of his wife's gods after finishing the temple of the only God. And so he didn't follow his own advice. And so if the one who wrote this, the one who recognized this, can stumble in these things, we can all do that. But God is faithful and true when we call on him. He picks us up, he dusts us off, and he helps us walk again anew. You know, something Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, he said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You want to understand the contents of your heart? Listen to what you're saying about things. Listen to what you're saying about other people and it will tell you what you believe about them and what's in your heart. Next verse says that a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. But an evil man, or the the little translation is a natural man out of his natural treasures brings forth only natural things. So you have to fill your heart with God things and then speak your heart about the things that God has talked about. Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 6, he said, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So you want to know where, what, what's in your heart? Look at what you're doing. It'll point out what you find valuable. It'll point out exactly where your belief structure lies of where, what's the importance for your time. You know, when Jesus said about the the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 15, he said, These people draw near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And so he recognized that in the Pharisees, they knew how to put a show on and make it seem like they were in a spiritual position. But what did Jesus say about them? He says, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. You are like the bearers of death. And they were supposed to be God's representatives among the people. And so what we allow to go on in our heart and go on in our life will show up in our mouth, will show up in our actions, and will produce a harvest in our lives. Amen? You guys doing all right this morning? Yeah. So just a little bit of review. we we'll get back on the same page from six weeks ago. In the New Testament, we use the word cardia, the Greek word cardia, which is defined as the soul or the mind, as it is the fountain and the seed of thoughts passions desires appetites affections purposes and endeavors and i don't fully like this definition because it only is including two parts of us it says the soul and when they talk about the soul here they're talking about our spirit man and unfortunately in the english language we use spirit and soul interchangeably but they're not the same thing in the greek we have three different categories that paul says we are we are spirit We are soul, and we are body. And so when we talk about the mind here, they're talking about the soul. And when we talk about the soul, they're talking about the spirit. And it's kind of like you want to go back and shake the translators and be like, can you just not keep things straight, people? And unfortunately, it happens in many different topics in the Bible where they just... It's like they they did it with an imperfect understanding of what they were doing. They did the best they could with what they were working with. And as time goes on, we know things and we adapt. And so it's, it's talking about the areas of your heart from all the different areas of you get imprinted in this area that acts as a fountain. And what is a fountain? It springs forth. You know, you can try and cover up a fountain, whatever the source is, but you know what happens when you remove the hand? It springs forth again. So whatever is in your heart is going to come out. You can bury it as much as you want, but it's going to shoot forth. And so I want to shoot forth good things. I want to shoot forth God things. I want to shoot forth a godly expectation, a godly hope, a godly healing, a godly mindset. I want those things to be springing forth out of me as the world steps further and further away from God. I want the things of my heart to spring forth closer and closer to God. I want to have a desire to be like David where it says his heart was after God. I want it to be continually on my lips to say, God, I worship you. I praise you. I just can't get enough of you. I want to spend more time with you. I want to do more things for you. I want you to breathe your life into my day today. I want those things to be the things that spring forth out of the depths of me. And so the soul, or the heart, is a fountain whatever you put in it is going to come out. Whatever you let be dominant from your spirit life will be printed there. Whatever you let be dominant from your mental and your emotional and your feelings will be imprinted there. What The parts of you that you let your body dominate will be imprinted there. You know, it takes, it takes habit. It takes effort to get up and exercise and work today and you can program your heart to say, no thanks, I'll sleep in today. No thanks, I don't want to do that. All those things get imprinted on your heart because the heart is our operating programming and parameters and if you don't like where the boundaries of your life are start writing a new program amen so why don't we turn back over to mark chapter 6 and we spent several weeks on mark chapter 6 when we were doing the series on the heart in mark chapter 6 and in verse 45 is where we're going to start We have to understand that what has happened before this story is Jesus has just fed the 5,000. He's already fed the 4,000. He's already, while they were out on the sea in the middle of the storm, he had fallen asleep in the boat and his disciples were freaking out saying, we're going to die. And they woke him up and said, don't you care that we're perishing? And he said to them, oh, ye of little faith. And he calmed the storm by saying, peace, be still. And so we've already had these dramatic miracles that we often talk about and, you know, if you're thinking about the stories of jesus the main ones that are awesome to remember have already taken place before where we're going to start and in verse 45 of chapter 6 it says immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to the and well he sent the multitude away and when he had sent them away he departed to the mountain to pray and this is always a good thing to keep in remembrance. When you've had a busy day or you've had a busy time, take time to recharge yourself. He's just spent long periods of time teaching the crowds. He just multiplied the fish and loaves into, to feed 5,000 people, probably closer to 15,000 to 20,000 total. And what does Jesus do? He takes time to tend his heart. If Jesus needed to, so do I. I won't speak for you. If Jesus needed to take time after a busy day, so do we. Now, the disciples, on the other hand, they've been there through the same amount of hustle and bustle and commotion. They've been there working with the crowds with Jesus, organizing people to sit down, handing out and doing everything with Jesus, and they get in the boat to go to the other side. So two different things happen there. One just kept on trucking. The other stopped to take time. Verse 47 says, Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he, meaning Jesus, was alone on the land. And then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. And now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he would have passed them by. And I always love that, and we focused on it quite a bit. Jesus wasn't planning on stopping, which meant he believed they had enough within themselves, they had enough ability to pull on the power of god that they didn't need him to contribute to the situation jesus believes you can handle the situation you're in why because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world whatever situation you find yourself in whatever giant may be in the ring with you you can whip him he has to fall There is nothing that you will face in your life that you are not able to the task because Jesus has made you able. Say I'm able. able. So Jesus was planning on walking right by them. Verse 49 he says and when they saw him walking on the sea just moving on right along they supposed it was a ghost and they cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled, but immediately he talked with them and said, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. You know, I believe in those moments when Jesus speaks to your heart, it calms you. It relieves the pressure. It brings the right perspective back. And When we just listen to the voice of Jesus as we were just singing Jesus this morning, we magnify you you reign you should allow your heart to become calm to become still and so he says to them don't be afraid guys you know you ever notice whenever jesus is on the scene of something tumultuous or an angel shows up in the bible the first thing they have to say is don't be afraid meaning there's a heart response that is inadequate for this situation so let the heart calm. And it says, Jesus went up into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure, and they marveled. Now, the book of John says that they were immediately at the other side of the, of the shore. And to think about it, that they've seen so many miracles at this point, and they're still saying within themselves, they were greatly amazed, and they marveled. The next verse says, for they had not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened. Now, when I was reading that a few weeks ago, after we had finished our series on it, the thought that I hadn't considered before is, who was writing this? His name is Mark. And Mark was not there on that day mark was not an eyewitness to this event everything that we see in the book of mark mark got from the apostle peter who was there on that day so you have to understand how the chain of information would have gone peter would have been traveling with john because john traveled with him for a while Or mark traveled with him his name was john mark and when peter was describing this story of all the things he could have focused on he made it a point to tell Mark we were marveling because our hearts were hardened so this verse is a verse of perspective this is Peter looking back at his life and recognizing there were times where I was hardened versus times where now my heart is open to God my heart is open to his things you know Peter's been traveling for years at this point helping spread the gospel He's looking back on his life, realizing there's times, God, where I was just not receptive to you. But it also tells me we're never stuck in those moments. You know, Mark could also apply this to his own life. Mark started out his ministry traveling with Paul and Barnabas. And when the going got tough, Mark quit. And he went home. And when Paul was at Barnabas were getting ready to go out, Barnabas said, hey, we should take Mark with us again. And Paul said, absolutely not. That's not happening. He quit. Well, isn't it good to know when one person doesn't see a future with you, God has other avenues? And so somewhere along the line, though Paul wouldn't take Mark anymore, Peter did. And I think Peter understood the mindset that Mark had when he quit. Because Peter was pretty irrational at times too, right? At one moment, he's telling Jesus, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus said, well, we're going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to kill me. And he says, that's not going to happen, Jesus. And he took him aside and he rebuked him. So if anybody can understand an irrational point of view, it's Peter. And Peter was exactly what Mark needed because there was times where Mark had hardened his heart and walked away from the cause of Christ. But whatever situation you've been in in the past, you're not stuck there. And so I believe that this scripture was put in there for a purpose. To speak to people that are in our position, realizing that this way may be how you feel today. Keep walking with God. Let Him soften your heart and change your perspective. The Amplified says, for they failed to consider or understand the teaching and the meaning of the miracle of the loaves. In fact, their hearts had grown callous, had become dull, and had lost the power of understanding. Because what you allow yourself to consider shapes the responses of your heart. What you consider, you'll become sensitive to. And what you neglect, you'll become hardened to. So this story is not just in the Bible to be a cool story, though it is. Jesus walking on the water saying, hey guys. It's in here as it's speaking to me today. It's speaking to my heart that if I can have a hardened heart, there is a cure for the hardened heart. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about curing the hardened heart. And as I was thinking about the idea of hardened heart, you have to understand that just because you're hardened in one area doesn't mean you're hardened in all areas. There can be areas where you are fully open to God's provision and God's timing and miracles in your life and other areas where you won't let Him touch. And I was thinking about it. It's kind of like, you know, I like pudding, and I've always liked pudding. But you know what happens to pudding? That top layer begins to harden a little bit compared to what's underneath it. It becomes a little rubbery. And so when I open up a thing of of pudding, I eat the hardened part off first because I know, why not get the worst out of the way? (laughs) And so it kind of annoys me when my wife sits down and grabs a spoon. She just like digs right down to the bottom and just goes. And was like, ah, you've wrecked. I was saving the best for last. But the point is, the top may become a little rubbery. Maybe some events have happened in your life that have caused you to harden a little bit. That doesn't mean you are hardened to the core and that there's no hope for you. We all have hurts. We all have situations that we can gone through. You know what happens? You just stir that rubbery part in and it disappears. Because what you focus on, what you consider, will soften and what you neglect will harden. So let's turn over to Matthew chapter 17. How's everybody doing? In Matthew chapter 17 and verse 14, this story actually takes place right after the last story we were reading in Mark in the timeline of things. And so what happens is uh, a man brings his son to be healed. And he, before getting to Jesus, he gets to the disciples first. In verse 14, it says, and when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and into the water. And so I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. And then Jesus answered and said, "O oh, faithless and perverse generation, he gets a little bit of a rebuke for his disciples. How long shall I be with you? And how shall I bear with you? how long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me." And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. And then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, "Why could we not cast it out, and this should be a celebratory scripture. You want to know why? They could have beat themselves up and said, oh, we couldn't do it again. You know, we failed again. Jesus Jesus told us we could have done the loaves and fishes ourselves, and we chose not to. Jesus told us that we could calm the storm, and we didn't do it. And now here we couldn't heal the kid. They could have closed in on themselves right there. They could have withdrawn, but no, they asked the question and asked questions. When something doesn't go the way you thought it should go, go before God and find out why. He loves to answer your questions. No questions. No answers, no answers, no change. Ask questions, get answers. Find answers, find change. Don't do the same thing over and over and over again. And so they said, why couldn't we do it? And he gives them a direct answer, because of your unbelief. Now on face value, we could say that Jesus was telling them, you just don't have faith. But that's not actually what he said to them. He didn't say you don't have faith. He said you had unbelief. And in the Thayer's Greek lexicon, it describes the word that's used here as want of faith. And it's shown in action of withholding belief in a divine power, or in a power and promises of God. So it's not that they did not have faith, they were not using it. And we see this the same in the first time Jesus calmed the sea, when they woke him up and he said, peace be still. He said, "O ye of little faith, which the literal translation is, how come you having faith use none? And I want to tell all of you this morning as a reminder, you've got faith. You've got what you need to believe. And Jesus said, it doesn't take much. Because Paul told us, for I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one the measure of faith. You've got what you need. And so the situation with the disciples, with their unbelief, is that they were not using faith, they were putting faith in something else. And faith and unbelief can exist in your heart at the same time. Don't believe me? Let's prove it out. Back to Mark 9, in the same story we're talking about, Jesus said to them, this is the interaction with the Father, the father brings them because after being fed up with the disciples not being able to heal him, he brings him to Jesus, and Jesus says to the man, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, faith, help my unbelief. My things that are moving in the opposite direction of where I want to go. We also see this when Jesus deals with the ruler of the synagogue who his servant was at home dying. He comes to Jesus and says, will you come heal him? Jesus says, yes. Jesus gets distracted along the way. The woman with the issue of blood happens. And then people come from the house and say, don't trouble the master any longer. Your servant's dead. What was Jesus' response? Don't be afraid. Only believe. Meaning, faith and unbelief can exist in your heart at the same time, but you want to know what? The one that you feed wins. Here's what happens you've got faith. And you've got unbelief both pulling in opposite directions in the same situation. You know in your mind that God says he'll heal all your diseases, that by his stripes you are healed, that he'll supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. But on this side you're seeing my body hurts. It just doesn't seem like there's any change. I don't know what's going on with these bills. I just can't ever seem to get ahead. And they're pulling against each other. But what happens when you remove one? it moves in a quickly in another direction so when you remove the unbelief the unbelieving words the unbelieving thoughts out of your heart things begin to change quickly Vice versa, when you begin to remove God's perspective out of it, you begin to move quickly in the other direction, and you begin seeing things that you don't want in your life, but you hold higher faith in over what God has said. So the one you feed will win, and the one that you neglect will have to withdraw from the situation, and you'll begin to see miracles in your life like you haven't before. Amen? So back to Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. Jesus said, it's because of your unbelief. And so we told you back in that series that unbelief is the leading contaminant of a hardened heart. Unbelief is the leading contaminant of a hardened heart. And so if we go back to Mark 9 and look at Mark's perspective of this story of the man who brought his son to be healed and the disciples couldn't, this is what happens in Mark. He says, and when they had come to him in the house, the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast them out? And so he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Why is that in there versus the other one? Because the solution to unbelief is to focus on what you should believe in God. Because what you consider, you become sensitive to. So when they asked him, why couldn't we do it? He said, guys, I took the time alone to pray. You got in the boat to go to the other side. Stir yourself up. Jesus said, it's because of your unbelief. But then he said, for assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith of a mustard seed, just a little bit, just a tiny little speck, you don't need much. You don't need to turn the believing pedal all the way down, though you should. It only takes a little bit. You'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will be move, And nothing will be impossible for you. Because the reality is, faith is easy to feed. Get in the presence of God, and it rises up. Get in the word of God, and faith comes. Because that's what Romans ten seventeen told us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, in the Greek, it just says faith comes by hearing the word of God. But the the tense of the word used is continual motion, meaning you're never one and done. Yesterday's infilling won't hold you till tomorrow. Fill yourself again. Stir your faith again. Every day you have an opportunity to shape the programming of your heart. But here's something I want you to grab hold of. If unbelief is curable, anything is curable. Why? Because all things are possible to those who believe. And if unbelief can be moved out of the way, all things are possible. Hallelujah. Now, this all kind of talks about when you're stuck in the middle of a situation. And you know that when the problem's already there, isn't really a good time to solve it. You know when the best time to solve it is? It's kind of like this. When's the best time to plant a mighty oak? 200 years ago. When's the second best time to plant a mighty oak? Today. And so in this middle of your situation is not a good time to be sorting things out. Stop growing things in your garden that don't belong there. And being proactive is always better than being reactive. And just like they say in sports, the best offense is a good defense. Be prepared before. Because you know what the status of your heart is supposed to be in, in your natural context? Flowing in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faith, fullness, Gentleness, self-control, and against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's, have crucified the flesh, and with its its passions and desires, crucified, not crucifying. So, being proactive about the things of God in your life will save you a lot of hurt, a lot of hassle, and a lot of battles with unbelief. And that's why Solomon said, "Keep, keep." That's the status of being active on it. Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it flow the issues, spring the issues of life. Now, most of the time we ignore what comes next. He gives us the formula of how to keep your heart. You interested? You want to know? Yes. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Why? Because James tells us that the power is in the tongue, and it turns your life whichever direction. You've got to watch your words. Maybe there's unbelief wanting to speak out of your heart right now. Bite your tongue, even if you have to bite it off. It says, put away from you a deceitful mouth. What is a deceitful mouth in this context? The opposite of what God says about it. So the opposite of deceitful mouth would be an honest mouth. And an honest mouth is the word of God. It doesn't get more true. It doesn't get more honest. It doesn't get more lovely than that. Don't give voice to the lies of the enemy. Speak what God has said. You want to know why? He doesn't have a voice unless you give him one. He doesn't have any power in your life unless you give him power. And the way you do that is going ahead and agreeing with him versus agreeing with God. You know what agreement is? Yes, we're on the same page. This is the direction we're going to go. What did Solomon say next? He says, let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Know where you're headed and let your expectation and your imaginations move in that direction. You know what's really wonderful to do when you feel like you've got nowhere to go and you have no way out? Sit down and imagine yourself Getting out of it. When you feel like you'll never be healed of this, sit down and imagine yourself well. When you feel like you're never going to get ahead on your bills, sit down and imagine yourself ahead. Go ahead and focus on that direction and building the image of what God has said versus the nagging lies on the other side. And so he says, Keep your eyes straight ahead, know where you're going. It's just like when they're teaching driving school, they say, Wherever you look is where you will go. Keep your eyes ahead. Where are you heading? Don't focus on things that are not part of your destination. And then he says, Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. What is ponder your path? Watch where you're going and ask yourself, Is this the direction I'm supposed to be going? And how do you know what the direction is? You already said it in the last verse. And so if you start to drift off course... Watch where you're going and fix it. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. They spring out. Whatever you've kept will spring forth. The most important thing, though, that we can ever put in our heart is Romans 10.10 says, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness let yourself be established in the work of jesus and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation go ahead and declare Jesus in your situation. Come on, why don't we just lift up our hands. Jesus, we thank you that you go before us, you go behind us, you go beside us, that there's nowhere that we could go where we wouldn't be with you. We thank you for your gift of righteousness that you who knew no sin became sin for us, that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We thank you that that's what we believe. That's what we choose to sow into our hearts. That's what we choose to align our confession with, that Jesus you are the full source of my supply you are my satisfying thing in every area of my life i let you be my fullness my faithfulness this day in jesus name amen maybe you've been watching us this morning via the internet and you haven't even made jesus the lord of your life that scripture gives you the solution that you need believe in your heart and speak with your mouth so church we want to pray with these people right now say father Right now I believe that you have made me righteous by the work of Jesus. So I receive his salvation and I choose to walk in a new direction. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that prayer with us this morning, we would love for you to get in contact with us. We'd love to get some resources into your hands and get you hooked up with a good church wherever you are. If you're in the Smith Falls area, we say, welcome home, come on and get hooked up. God has great things for you. And that includes you guys too. God has great things for you. Don't let the garden of your heart rob you from them. Tend the garden. Keep it. And see change. Pastor Robin? Amen. Well, it's
1: offering time. Uh, yeah, it's time to sow some seed, Pastor Robin So, several ways you can give. You can give digitally. Thank you for those who do that. And you can just drop something off of the basket on the way out. Amen. And, uh, as uh, Pastor Jordan said, that there's some power in the tongue, so we're going to do a confession. As we give today, As I tithe and give offerings, I'm believing the Lord for souls and more souls, jobs and better jobs, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales and commissions, favorable settlements, estates and inheritance, interest and income, rebates and returns, discounts and dividends, checks in the mail, Gifts and surprises, finding money, bills decrease, bills paid off, blessings and increases. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all my financial needs that I may have more than enough to give to the kingdom of God, promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You are blessed.